0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. We've got a two-part show today, and it's all about the late, great George Michael and the 30th anniversary of his debut solo album, Faith. In the first portion of the show, Andrew will be joined by Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital, Joe Lynch, and the guys will discuss how Faith racked up an incredible six top five singles on the Billboard Hot 100, including four number ones. Then, my fellow chart gurus, Gary Trust and Trevor Anderson of the Chartbeat Podcast, stop by to talk about Faith's many chart achievements and debate whether Michael will ever get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to us on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, and you know, you can give us a rating, a review, why not? And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Okay, so since Andrew will be talking about how Faith spun off, you know, six top five singles, I won't spoil his chart fun by discussing that specific chart feat. But I will, however, give you some fun facts about Michael's chart career in general. Of course, he was one half of the duo Wham! when he first started out back in the early 80s, and Wham! made its Billboard chart debut on March 19th, 1983, when Young Guns, go for it! debuted on our Dance Club Songs chart, eventually peaking at number 21. Uh, Wham! charted nine hits on the Hot 100, including three number ones. As a soloist, Michael notched 19 hits, including seven number ones, and four of them were from Faith. And you'll hear all about that in a second on Coming Around Again.
1: Hello and welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's anniversary theme podcast, celebrating anniversaries in the music world. Uh this week we're celebrating the thirtieth anniversary of George Michaels' classic Faith album, turns Ooh. thirty on October thirtieth and as you can hear wooing in the background here to here to talk about it with us is a uh, Billboard's deputy editor digital Joe Lynch. What's up, Joe?
2: Hello, thanks
1: for having me. Yeah, and you, you can't see this at home right now, but Joe's actually wearing a cross earring and a leather jacket <laughs> right now. It's it's yeah. a beautiful tribute, Joe. Yes, uh, yeah. My guitar with pearls is outside. Yeah, and then I, I brought up the Woolitzer, but it's, I think it's still in the lobby. I don't think they can let me take it <laughs> on the on the elevators. Uh so today was a big day of celebration for us at Billboard, uh, doing the thirtieth anniversary of Faith. We got Six really awesome essays talking about the six great singles on this album. Have you got a chance to read any of these yet, Joe?
2: I did. Yes, I finally got um, a chance to read all of them. They're great. The uh, I'm trying to think which ones. The one uh, about I want your sex was probably my favorite. Yeah, that was uh, the most personal. Uh, there was, so. It was the most personal. It was very okay. funny. Um and what else?
1: There was another oh the the one more try was beautiful too. Yeah, I mean that's Stephen Thomas Erle and shout out to him and yes. uh, Lori Majewski ST, doing the yeah doing the I want your sex and all, all the other great writers we got. Uh, Definitely check that out uh, on Billboard if you haven't already. Uh, But neither you nor I wrote an article for that for that series. So we let's, did not. Let's, uh, let's share our own opinions now. So what, what's what's your own kind of personal history with George Michael and with this album?
2: You know, it, my personal history is is not um. Well, I'm just gonna trail off and then leave it there. No, I, I, I love 80s music in general. <laughs> he was definitely someone I got into later. Like I was a you know big big Madonna Prince fan as a teenager. Um, I didn't really get into George Michael probably till post college. I think um, I knew the singles, and for some reason I just I, I don't know. I think I had the Faith album on vinyl, and I was like, it was like oh this is good, good good singles. Some for some well, reason well done by him. For some reason the like the kind of breadth and the scope of his genius um didn't hit me till a little later um I think when I became aware of how much I liked the freedom 1990 version and then sure. I kind of revisited faith i I think honestly probably like a lot of uh viewers or viewers listeners back who actually lived through george michael's time like my in, in my view of him was very much like refracted through wham and I was kind okay. of like oh wham is like just insanely cheesy like you know this basically like a punchline group um and so i think it really didn't it took me a while to kind of like really understand how like you know deeply like musically
1: affecting that album was and how how talented he was really too yeah uh i think you know growing up in the late 90s was not the time to be growing up in like growing into a george michael fan this is very true like yeah i mean aside from the fact you know he was already declining in popularity i mean the first uh the first song of his I really knew that well was Fast Love, which was his big hit off of Older, his third mm-hmm. album. By that point, yeah, he, he, you know, he because he was so big a decade earlier, people still cared about him, but he definitely wasn't at the vanguard anymore. He wasn't on the forefront yeah. of pop music and... Uh, Although he was still making some pretty great singles and some and some pretty cool albums, he was definitely on on the wane, and you know the pop had become such a different thing by that point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in the late nineties, you mostly know George Michael for two things, uh, neither of which are very positive. One right? Which, yeah. One of them is the Limp Bizkit cover of Faith, which uh, <laughs> might might have ruined George Michael for for a number of people our age. Yeah. And obviously, the other is is the, uh, the the public restroom incident, right? In which he was very publicly outed, uh, and a lot of scandal, a lot of. John Norris interviews, like uh, it, yeah. it, it was it was a messy time for George Michael.
2: It was yeah, you know, he was definitely more like certainly wouldn't but yeah, both of us were growing up, more punchline than yeah. kind of like
1: uh, musical maestro. But and and so I, I grew up, I would not have considered myself a George Michael fan. Uh I liked a couple songs, but you know, it, it, it was my, my fan of George Michael kind of uh it, it kind of follows the arc of, oh, I don't really like George Michael, but I do like that one song. I don't really like George Michael, but I do like those two or three songs. And then it just kept going until it was like you know, right. seven or eight songs in. I was like, oh, I guess I just kind of mm-hmm. like George Michael. It's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, like uh, as you were saying, like you, you definitely don't grow up thinking of him as this kind of you know, prince-like figure of mm-hmm. like, like just basically a guy who does everything. You know, He writes, he right. produces, he performs, he, he, he sings. He's an incredible singer. He's an incredible songwriter. He's an incredible dancer, or at least uh, by the standards of, of, of late 80s, you know, Caucasian right. performers. Uh, yeah and yeah like 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 he was you know one of the guys for for his time for his period, and faith is sort of like the that moment that every great eighties pop star had where you know, where everything just kind of comes together mm-hmm. uh and it was kind of unfortunate for him that it happened on his first album because he he sort of spent the rest of his career recoiling from that mm-hmm. uh but I mean, do you do you even consider this his first album? I mean, no, no, no disrespect to the god Andrew Wrigley, but uh, <laughs> um, cert- certainly his wham, you know, his wham efforts were mostly his doing. Yeah, I mean that that is that's an interesting
2: question. It it is weird to kind of say like, oh, George Michael's debut, because George Michael was already this massive star by the time Faith came out, and he had had that Aretha Franklin duet. I sure. mean, he for all intents and purposes was a solo star before this album arrived. Um, but yeah, I think if only for the purpose that like the Wham! stuff is, like, pretty slight overall. Like, even Mm -hmm. revisiting that, like, post-death, I was like, you know, like, it's not that great. Like, some of it is beautiful. Most of it's, like, fairly, like um purell so I, I feel like if only just to like kind of free him of that. that um then yes this is his
1: debut that that is true although you, you can you can already hear like the maturity creeping in like on a, a couple of songs per album and and uh, right. last christmas which i think is probably considered one of the greatest Yes, i mean greatest that's greatest a that's a
2: fantastic song uh, i'll
1: actually you know shout out to music from the edge of heaven their their third quasi album it's like a half singles compilation half odds and ends thing uh nobody really considers that album one of his best and i'm sure that he didn't himself but there's some beautiful songs in that album uh, and i love uh, a different corner which is actually technically his first solo single even though it was released on a wham album hmm. there's this weird thing that because andrew wrigley i think it's pronounced wrigley by the way not ridgely i'm not sure about I, that, i'm not but, sure about that uh, i have a, a super fan friend that I always always claimed as such so i'm taking her word for it mm-hmm. uh like the the story of, of him and wham is like a gradual like stopping of pretending that that andrew wrigley was even a thing like at first it was wham and then it was wham featuring george michael and then by the time of a different corner it's just george michael on a wham album but yeah i mean faith faith was his proper uh you know kind of this is me statement and uh enormous success pretty much immediately uh six top five hits Mm -hmm. goes diamond uh, world tour that lasts like a year and a half uh so uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, uh, this, this, you know, they wanted to put this together, this, this package of essays about about faith and its many singles, is that it was, I think, one of only a couple albums to ever have six top five hits on the Hot 100, and that's mm-hmm. a tremendous achievement. And they're all so different from one another, and, and they're all so so interesting in their own right. So I, I figured we kind of we kind of go buy them one by one, break Let's them do down, do, you know, do favorites, least favorites, et cetera. Uh, so the first one was actually released before Faith came out. I think it was on the. I want to say the beverly hills cop 2 soundtrack <laughs> i might need to double check myself on that it was definitely on some weird soundtrack that you mm-hmm. wouldn't have expected because the songs i want your sex uh definitely not the sort of thing you would appear that you would expect to appear in a, an eddie murphy action comedy but uh, uh it was it was a huge hit despite being censored by a number of radio stations mm-hmm. and despite being a pretty controversial kind of opening salvo for a, a former teen pop star uh, what, do you, what do you think of i want your sex joe
2: um i think it's it's smart i mean first off i like the song um i don't think it's it's probably it's in the top half of the album i don't think it's like one of the finer moments i see why um he kind of moved away from embracing it later in life uh but it's very smart in the sense that like you know it's very like courting sexual like controversy um but at the same time like you know fully on like embracing monogamy like yeah. is this kind of way of like having your cake and eating it too you know it's not prince in a g-string in a pull-out <laughs> poster on the controversy album it's like putting sex in an album you're you know nor is it madonna writhing you know imitating sex on the vma the uh, yeah, inaugural in in vmas uh you know it's someone talking about sex but being like hey but it's best when it's one-on-one which is very like you know this kind of like reagan era appropriate um version of a of a dirty song yeah it's
1: it's a very kind of provocative casing for a very Mm -hmm. i don't want to say conservative but at least uh you know non-controversial sentiment yeah right it's interesting uh i love the song mostly from a like a songcraft perspective because like this is one of the things that that, uh kind of sold me on george michael later in life was uh doing a song's karaoke uh you realize that there's like eight different parts
2: to each Mm
0: -hmm. of them
1: and like this song in particular has like like Four different bridges, I think. Like, like yeah, you, you think you sort of see where the song's going, and then he keeps throwing curveball after curveball. And like, the horns in maybe like the fourth part. I love. Oh, that's probably my favorite. part. Really? Like, yeah. like, when we get to like the part two on the album. Wow. Yes. Yeah. See, I don't know about that. That that actually like that that goes like a little bit too far for me. Like, I, I don't know. I grew up uh, knowing mostly the, the the version that they were playing on TV, which which I think cuts off after the horns. And then my mm-hmm. the first time I listened to the album, I was like, oh, I didn't see this coming. But yeah, like like the, the fact that that it, he basically turns into like an 85 and a half minute you know pop prog epic on the album it's, yes it's pretty <laughs> yeah. incredible and like a lot of the songs most identifiable hooks including like that that kick 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 it come on which is yeah. probably probably the best like that that shows up like five minutes into the song it's right it's, it, it, it's pretty insane I think uh, and we we're also we were like uh, last week on this podcast we were talking about in excess' kick album mm-hmm. and maybe it's just because doing the, the two back to back but it really kind of occurred to me that this is sort of a companion piece to You night to me uh maybe not thematically mm. but the the songs kind of have the same sort of shuffle to them and they're both very sexy but kind of minimalist and and i don't know they just 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 great pop songs i think yeah
2: i'd have to listen to that that's interesting though it's been a while since i've listened to that in excess one
1: yeah no and you're right minimal
2: i mean there's like that minimal funk thing to it and i think yeah. it works uh really well and also is, is a intelligent way for him to kind of be like look like i'm i'm better than like this this sort of like froth pop and i love froth pop but like he you know he really like he was like regarded you know as the very offensive reference in that dire Straits song you know
1: which i i hadn't even know that didn't even occur to me one of our writers for i think in the father figure essay wrote about Mm -hmm. that and yeah that that uh I don't think that was Dire Straits taking shots because, I, you know, I think they were trying to be satirical in their own right. But, yeah, mm. I'm sure to a lot of people that did kind of encapsulate their their sort of prejudices against Roche Michael. Right,
2: exactly. And, I mean, that, and that was in the music industry, too. After we uh, – after he died, we ran – I forget who it was, but it was some exec – and I think the exec yeah. said he didn't, but there's, like, several people who said he did and yada, yada. Um, you know, it called him the F word and, you know, like, to his manager's face. And it's, it's just, like, I think a lot of people, like – on that first Wham! album, you know, him doing this very, like, simple pop, and then with that particular look, he really had a lot to prove, and kind of moving into this Prince-esque territory um, was, like, a good way of doing it, I think.
1: Yeah, and, and it makes sense that this sort of would have been his his model for, for what adult pop stardom looked like, right. in terms of Prince. Yeah. And it, I, I wonder if they ever, they ever, you know, had any sort of professional relationship, he and Prince did. Do you know anything about that? I, I don't think they did. I, I, I'm just bad. guessing, I just yeah. can't imagine them, like... Maybe not, uh, but uh, in any event, that that's that was that was one for one with George Michael. That one that one didn't make it to number one. We'll probably talk about that more. You know, we're gonna have a second part of this podcast where we we, uh, we bring on the chart beat folks to talk about mm-hmm. some of the more the ins and outs of the charting of this album because it's really interesting. But that that was a number two hit. But uh, the first number one hit on this album is the title track, uh, which is sort of his, you know, it was it was a throwback rock song, but it was also just kind of a general rebranding of him. And, and the music video is very famous for, for a lot of its, you know, as we talked about earlier, the leather jacket imagery. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh the guitar and the jukebox and uh I would, I would say that for non-george michael fans this is probably the one song that everybody can agree on of his would you yeah agree with that?
2: i yeah. would say that's definitely true yeah. i mean it's a
1: it's an incredible song it's just like every time i hear it I'm, i feel like i'm knocked out by how good it is yeah and it's been a little bit more simpler maybe than a couple of the other songs on this album mm-hmm. you know it, it, the 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 structuring of it isn't quite so unconventional it's sort of more of a verse chorus verse thing and it's, yeah. it's very easily understood and uh very, very deeply rooted in, in rock and pop history, and that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the things I like so much about most of the singles on this album. But it's got that, that Bo Diddley beat to it, it's got that the Bo Diddley beat, a little,
2: little shuffle, almost a little ska or not ska, skiffle, like yeah, a little vaguely skiffle. going on there. Um, shout, shout out to, to Skiffle Music, and shout the, out to George. Lonnie Donegan. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's very like you know, he knew like rock and pop history in and out. You know, mm-hmm. this is very like very aware of like the, the kind of <clears throat> rockabilly and both on both sides of the Atlantic, the, uh, the early rock and roll that kind of like um, morphed into, you know, the monster of rock that had taken over by the time the 80s were there. Um, but I think it's just, a, yeah, you're right. It's simpler. I think there's just a lot of brilliance in the vocal delivery. Like he sounds very like kind of innocent and tentative when mm-hmm. he's singing the first line i guess it would be nice if i would touch your body like there's there's just like it's
1: uh i don't know like it's it's very clever the way it's it's yeah sung. no doubt and uh the 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 great essay that uh, jude rogers wrote for us about faith uh, made a big deal of the opening 30 to 40 seconds where it's that that groaning organ riff from the original mm-hmm. freedom which I, I didn't even know growing up i didn't i didn't catch that that was that was a reference to that song until much yeah, much later in life uh but you know, and obviously you know freedom was sort of supplanted in the public memory by freedom 90 which mm-hmm. he did as a solo solo singer on the next album uh but the, the original freedom was was sort of an important song for george michael at the time but uh kind of presenting it in this 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 gospel sort of fashion and, and then immediately breaking from it was was very important to him in this the second phase of his career uh and it's just it's just a really interesting thing to kind of bake into into the song and it makes sense that i think this is the title track on the album yeah a, a fair choice for if, if he was to be remembered for one song i think this would be as, as good a choice as any uh the third Agreed. single of uh, also also a general crowd favorite uh not really a personal favorite but uh father figure uh in, a, in kind of a very tense and foggy mm-hmm. ballad of of, of of seduction that maybe crosses some lines here and there but maybe yeah. does so intentionally uh what, what, what do you think of father figure joe
2: um i i'm a big fan of it i you know it's, it's not my favorite on the album mm-hmm. but um uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it just, especially as the second track, I think it kind of like sets the tone. I mean, Faith is so uh, sprightly and upbeat, and then this kind of. This one's takes definitely it not back. sprightly and upbeat. You no, know, it's, it's very, very moody, um, but, but not dull. Like, it's it's not a like, kind of ponderous ballad. Like, those backup vocals, the backup gospel vocals, I sure. think give it uh, kind of a nice heft that keeps it going. Uh, the chorus is very catchy. There's, there's a few like little vocal tricks in there that are just very like hooky and earwormy. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, I guess it's, you know, you could say like maybe it's six minutes or whatever it is. Like it's a little long, like the, uh, the kind of the musical instrumentation at the very end is maybe a little dated. Um, but it's, I think it's, I think it's great.
1: I think it still is a, like a definitely top hat, maybe, maybe top four songs on the album for me. All right the lyrics have always been a tough workaround for me. And I, I don't even want to fixate too much on you know, some of the, I don't not pedophilic, but at least sort yeah. of, mm-hmm. sort of creepy implications of some of the chorus lyrics. I don't even like that. That's not even really what bothers me. What bothers me is, uh, is wanting to be warm and naked in your sight. Like, <laughs> too, I don't know. Too gross. Maybe, maybe in some context, that's sexy. I, I I'd never heard it as such. It, it always was a little bit weird to me. Uh, and yeah, it's, a, a little overwrought com- compared to some of the other songs on the album. Uh, Although actually the next single is probably the, maybe the most overwrought of all, and then that, that's one of my favorites, and that's that's one more try, mm. uh, the third straight number one single off this album, and really like if, if you thought that that father figure took it slow, like this song really <laughs> yeah. digs in, uh, kind of a torch song, and, and and I think George Michael was about as good at those as anybody in the late '80s, and you know, uh, like when when the Grammys happened this year, and Adele did her version of Fast Love, uh, which she you know originally was like a an up, upbeat r&b dance sort of song uh she slowed it down to this very kind of uh, f- almost funereal pace and 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 uh a lot of people said like oh this is so this is so anti-george george was you know mm-hmm. he, was, he was he was he he would have preferred something that was more in your face and more fun and more kind of boundary pushing mm-hmm. and it's like yeah, well maybe but like he, he did both of those like he he yeah. did those songs he did i want your sex but he also did one more try he did the, mm-hmm. these kind of grand balladic statements that that really kinda you know they, they, they hit in an extremely visceral way. Uh does does, does does any of that make sense to you? That that all makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean one more try is,
2: is definitely my favorite George Michael song period. Wow, period. I think it's all right. just astonishing. It's you know, and that that's one of those ones too where um it, it is the recording. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like the song itself is it I'm not saying it's a bad song, but like it's it's a pretty simple song. Um, you know, this is not the kind of like, malleable thing that you can imagine a bunch of people putting their spin on. Like, this works 100% because of the way his vocal sells the song, um, the super understated synthy production. production. Um, you know, it's pretty similar in that way to Sinead O'Connor's version of Nothing Compared to, like, just a super minimal, very another 80s Prince production. Another Prince connection. Yeah. But that is just, like, utterly heartbreaking and, like, devastating every time you listen to it. Um, yeah, I mean, his vocal just, like, just goes, like, up to those just, like really desperate heights and then down to kind of meditative lows. And, and it's just so brilliant to end on, um, you know, the title, the titular line, maybe one last year. Cause he's been spending this whole song saying like, I'm done with love. It's been hurt too much. I'm not bothering with it again. And then after just like minute after minute of saying that it's like, ah, maybe I'll do it again.
1: Yeah. Like it, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful little trick. Uh, literally my, my favorite thing that any pop music, any, any pop song can do is save the title for the last words of the song. <laughs> like I actually have like a running playlist of like eighty songs that do this. Whenever I hear a new one, it's like the best part of my day. That's that's uh, awesome. Definitely my favorite. Just like silly little songwriting gambit. One mm-hmm. uh, well, other quick thing about this song, you mentioned uh, nothing compares to you. That's a fair comparison. Listen to it sometime. Thinking about Boys to Men's End of the Road. Okay. If you, if you lay the vocals from that over the music to this, it's it's both the pacing of it and the chord changes. That it's, there's a lot more similarity. I only only realized this for the first time listening this week, but. Uh, it's it's there. I don't know if it's intentional or not, but you know George Michael was very popular on R and B radio, so mm-hmm. it, it's not. I think actually I think this was his his first R and B number one hit. Actually, I think that's right. But oh. our our friends Gary, yeah, and Trevor I'll double were check no that with Gary and Trevor soon enough. But but, uh, uh,
2: but lyrically, there's also I think an interesting thing. You know, like this is all addressed to teacher, and I think that again ties into the kind of father figure thing. There's like a sort sure. of authority figure like romancing and that goes on the other side. Like if he was the father figure in the other song, then in this one, he's the the pupil to the teacher. Yes. It's, um, it's,
1: it's a, it's a very interesting contrast for certain. Yeah.
2: Uh, I mean, I think that just probably plays into two, like his burgeoning experience in just
1: gay culture at the time yeah. where, you know, daddy was, uh, was a thing. <laughs> daddy you know? was paramount. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is interesting to, to hear him kind of play both sides of it. And I hadn't even really thought about that until, uh, you know, the excellent essay that, uh, that Barry Walters wrote about father figure for us, uh, the the next single on this, I think, is is maybe the you know, it's not going to be too many people's favorite songs in this <laughs> album, but it's, it's I think not. it's the most interesting. Maybe yeah. and that, that's "Monkey," which uh, is one of the most insane number one hits in Billboard Hot 100 history. Yeah, I, I would can't say. even believe it's a number one hit, honestly. Yeah. Well, t- to me, like uh, you know, another thing we're going to talk about probably a lot in the next half of this podcast is the connection between uh, this album and, and Michael Jackson's "Bad," uh, which was the first album to ever have five number one hits, in which this album came came very close to matching. Uh, this I think is his Dirty Diana, where like it's <laughs> it's yeah. a little more intense than you're necessarily comfortable with, and like the sound effects are crazy. Yeah, and they even have like the same sort of like moaning like 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 synth sort of yeah. sound that, that Dirty Diana has, which is which is insane. Uh, and the the subject matter is very confusing. You know, it might be about a love triangle, it might be about a friend's heroin addiction. Right. Yeah, but like you you think you have a handle on it, and then he says something that doesn't quite fit for it. And just the, any he song might of the, not have known. Yeah, I any mean, song with the chorus, the chorus built around "Do you love the monkey or do you love me?" I mean, <laughs> that, that's 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 a, a singular moment in pop history. Uh, but I love this song. I mean, I, I think I think it's 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 absolutely batshit insane. Mm-hmm. But I, I also think it's it's one of the most fun songs he ever did. And uh, I love the fact that like you know, the sound effects kind of zoom in from all over the place and. Uh, like it's a really funky song, and it, and it got that that remix from uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, yes. uh, Minneapolis' own, exactly uh, the Minneapolis sound. And uh, I don't know, like I've been obsessed with the song recently.
2: I think I do think it's a good song. I mean, I think it's it's almost unthinkable to imagine this being like a constantly playing thing on radio like yeah. that at some point like you would have turned on your car radio and this people would have been like oh yeah this is just this is what we're listening to these <laughs> days um because it's very bizarre it has a lot of different parts a lot of weird sound effects um it's not it's like funky but it's not super hooky i mean like the hooks just aren't like that fun they're kind yeah. of
1: like odd and a little robotic and it also the song leaps into them immediately Like the first thing you hear on the, on the song is the chorus, Mm -hmm. uh, in the single version, it's, it's one of the bridges, but, uh, like it it really gives you no time to adjust before it's already in the thick of it, which which makes it even more jarring than it would be otherwise. Uh, but but yeah, like, uh, I think if you're going to have one single to point to on this album saying like, okay, this, this song was a hit because George Michael was George Michael. Yeah. It's monkey, but it's still a great performance and it's still a really interesting production and, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it's on here. Uh, and the last song is probably the, the one that I think most people forget about when talking about the decades on this album. And uh, also, probably sort of a momentum chart hit, only hit number five uh, Kissing a Fool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting song because uh, it's, a, it's a perfect closer for the album, I think. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And it's sort but of. I think
2: that's also why people forget it, too. Yeah.
1: But it's sort of like that, like, like the kind of, you know, the after dinner mint for the album. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not the main chorus, but it's, it's a really nice note to end on.
2: I think it's nice, and I think it also uh, just demonstrates the breadth of his musical knowledge, because this it's totally hearkening back to, like, the pre-rock era. Mm-hmm. Like, this sounds very, um, you, you know, it's just like those songs that were more influenced by, um, you know, the era when it was, like, songwriters like Cole Porter and Irving Berlin, um, you know, either because it's dealing with Broadway or, like, you know, jazz or whatever, Um and this just kind of has that kind of like smooth croonery vibe. I mean, yeah, it's a, you're right. It's a very like after the main event sort of thing, exactly. kind of like lounging around sort of song. Um, and that plays into both, you know, him demonstrating his musical knowledge and also um, his sense of camp, you know, which was, you know, like if, if on Wham! You were like, oh, he's dressing and acting this way because like that's fashionable right now and like he's trying to, you know, be famous, like. With faith, like all of these, you know, like the the, the earrings and you know the the pearls and guitars. It's more personal like, camp. It's very personal camp. Yeah. yeah, it's not so much like fashion trend setting. Even it's very much like a self aware like celebration mm-hmm. of what camp is, um, and like adding to that to the camp canon. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but also, well I heard. think it is a really good song. Like, and I think it's too bad that it gets it gets forgotten about. But
1: still, number five is pretty good on and, the charts. Yeah, not bad for like a, a '40s throwback ballad in yeah. the late '80s. Uh, and real quick, another thing that I only just noticed, uh, you know, the entire concept of kissing a fool, uh, sort of a callback to last Christmas. Uh, you know, now I know what a fool I've been, but if you kiss me oh, again, yeah. I think you'll fool me again. I, I did not think of that. That's interesting. So uh, often felt a fool under the mistletoe. I guess George, George I, Michael. I guess, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's all six. Uh, still three tracks to go on this album. We don't have to talk about all of them, but uh, any any of the remaining tracks that we, that we haven't discussed uh, of interest to you. Wait, read them off to me. So I can't. It's, think it's of Hard titles. Day, which actually was technically a single. You know, shout out to Hard Day. I don't think it was given the full promotional push in the u.s never had a video and the single uh which was uh like a, it was only released as like a, an eight an eight minute 12 inch version mm-hmm. produced by your personal friend Shep uh, <laughs> That's true. but it never really you know it's not a it's not a radio single and it went nowhere in the states and it wasn't even released in the uk so mm-hmm. we'll we'll count that as a deep cut and then there's also the two hand songs which are uh, hand to mouth and mm-hmm. look at your hands i mean i think Honestly, like listening, I was re-listening to it again. Like, sure. they're all
2: good songs. Like, this is definitely not one of those um, albums where. Uh, well, actually, an album it reminds me a lot of is Cindy Lauper's "She's So Unusual," which okay. is another one of those uh, records where it's just like, like the bulk, the vast majority of the songs are just like massive hits. Sure. You know, it's like it kind of reads like a greatest hits. Um, but but similarly to that album, the lesser songs I think, while most people don't really ever think about them, are also awesome. Um, and I think these ones, like you listen to, they're they're more than solid. I think they're at very least like b plus material. They're like either solid funk or even you know, kind of like forward looking like uh r and b like yeah. you know, it's this is eighty seven but the sound of these uh these songs you know, kind of it would seem totally. Normal if you were like, oh, this came out in ninety one. If you didn't know who yeah. did it or something. Like
1: yeah, that. I mean they kind of keep the line moving. Uh, and the I don't know if it's unfortunate, but the thing that I think makes it a little bit disruptive with this album is that uh, rather than kind of interspersing the album tracks throughout, they're they're like right in the middle. it's, yeah. it's four singles, three album tracks, two singles. Yeah. It makes it a little, I mean, like, obviously, you know, you didn't necessarily know that at the time, and maybe even listening to it in real time, it wasn't so conspicuous, but listening to it after the fact, and you hear all these songs that you know really well, and then you hear mm-hmm. three that you don't, and, you know, it, it, it does stand out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect album, Faith. I, I think that it's, it's a little rocky in spots, and then the pacing is a little strange sometimes. Pacing is strange. Uh, but certainly, if, uh, any album that starts with Faith and ends with Kissing a Fool is mm-hmm. pretty good, uh, and... It's a it's a fair. I think I think it's in the class of like a Born in the USA or a, a like yeah. a Virgin. Maybe not quite Purple Rain. Maybe not quite Thriller. No, definitely not a Purple Rain. But, but you know,
2: it's 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 one of the definitive albums of the eighties for sure.
1: Be, I think. It's absolutely essential.
2: Like this is you know if you have any
1: interest in pop or eighties music, I mean this is a must mm-hmm. a must hear. And so, I'll well, on kind of a down note, but uh, obviously, you know, George Michael passed in in December. It was it was a you know, emotional time for all of us because, was, especially because it was around Christmas time, and mm-hmm. a lot of us were thinking about George Michael anyway. Uh, what, what what are your memories from from that week? Uh, and, and did did it really change your opinion of George Michael or the way you listened to him at all or anything like that?
2: Um, I'd already definitely come around in terms of like how much I appreciated and took him seriously. Um, I guess a little bit in terms of just like him as a human, it made me think of that more and less as just like. Um, the pop star, you know, after he died, I talked to well, you know, John Norris who's sure. been on some Billboard podcast and writes for us sometimes. Um John had interviewed him numerous times over the years and had hung out with him socially, like um, you know, with their boyfriends and stuff. Uh and it was and yeah, and and so I talked to John afterwards for kind of like an as told to his memories of George and uh just hearing someone like kind of very kind of tear teary-eyed or teary-eyed but you know sad you know choking up a little bit talking about their memories of someone you know as like an icon but yet they know them as like a human not that they were like the closest friends in the world but you know they'd spend some time together so um that was just kind of that that weird memory that you know whenever someone like that dies it's like you know they're you know, to us, they are like the biggest A-list names, and you know they represent X, Y, and Z, and like think pieces abound. But sure. like, they're also just human beings who like had a ton of interactions with people, and and uh, and then hurts for those people when they're yeah,
1: gone. no, I mean, that's interesting. And I I didn't have that personal kind of relation to anybody who I, I think had known him directly, but I, I always find that like after an artist dies, I mean, obviously you read their work with you know, kind of a greater dramatic significance just because they're they're now dead. But I think it also just makes things clearer. Like mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of noise that kind of surrounds, especially big pop stars during their life, yeah. and and there's a lot of kind of unnecessary information to weed out to really get to what what, what makes them important and special, and and what makes their music so great. Uh, and when when they die, it's almost like uh, it's, it's like the movie's over. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. writing about an artist when they're alive, it's like trying to, to to recap a like a sporting event or a movie or something while it's still going on. Yeah. But once they're dead, it's like okay, now we now we can look at this and, and really understand what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you, and yeah, you look at at his at his best songs, at his at his chart chart achievements, and and all, all the incredible things he accomplished uh, as a pop star. And you realize, like you know, I, I always grew up thinking he was definitely like a cut below, kind of the big stars of his era, and that he's maybe aged more poorly than some of them. I don't think that's true. I, I think I think he's he's in the discussion. I think he he has as many fantastic pop songs and, and just kind of, and, and like, and, and it, was, it was a true, a true pac, like a true practitioner of pop music, mm-hmm. like a, a, a real acolyte, a real student and like a, a real preacher for the value of pop music and the power of pop music. And that was a thing that I never really gave him proper credit for when he was alive. And um, I'm sorry that it took me until he, de- he was dead to realize it, but I'm, I'm repping for you now, George. Uh, uh, I think uh, your, your two albums after this are pretty great too. Even, even the one from this century, I think uh, Patience is, is a little underrated. Uh, never quite had the, the, like the, the one canonical masterpiece, and that might kind of hurt mm-hmm. him uh, you know moving forward in, in, in the annals of, of pop and rock history. but yeah, I mean certainly songs that everybody knows, songs that a lot of people love and, and I think he 's only going to be more appreciated for those as, as, as the years go on. for sure. Joe Lynch, a father figure to us all. <laughs> Thank thanks you. so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me do I, Oh, welcome back to coming around again. We're still talking about George Michael's faith thirty years later, and uh, here to talk about it with us two very special guests of the podcast. Friends of the program, we have uh, Trevor Anderson and Gary Trust of the Chartbeat Podcast. What's up, guys? It's
3: like we're getting a featured credit, by yeah, Appearing go. on yours,
1: f slash uh, <laughs> Chartbeat, Yeah,
4: who's who's built first? Oh, just just Chartbeat. Okay, I'll take as a group. We're we're we're
1: officially featuring a duo, chart, I uh, unless your uh, your agent like demands the and instead of the featuring. Uh, in which case, well, you know my, our. Our people will talk and we'll figure that out. But in any event, uh, talking about George Michael, just had Joe Lynch on. We we kind of went deep on a bunch of the singles and some of the favorite music elements. But obviously, this is a really interesting album in Billboard chart history as well. So I wanted to have you guys on to talk about some of the ins and outs of that. Uh, but first, you know, we we, we can uh, make it a little bit personal. Do you, do you guys have any like particular, you know, memories or associations with George Michael and, and play a big part in your life in any meaningful way? We'll start with you, Gary, since you were actually. Uh, Alive in of sound mind and body when this album came out in Thanks 1987. For
3: pointing that out, sure. yeah. No, actually, you know, it, it, for 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 anyone who cares, it's um, it, it was interesting to me because uh, 1988 was the first year I was following Billboard charts. Okay, so it was the first year that I uh, I saw all the year-end charts come out. So uh, Faith was the number one song of the year on the Hot 100. It was the number one album of the year on the Billboard 200. So it, it's always like there's been some part of me that. It's like every year when the year end titles come out, he, he kind of set the standard. Yeah, for what, what number one
1: is? He was one of the first uh, first artists to have two two hot one hundred number one singles of the year, right? Because uh, he was uh, you know it was, it was Wham featuring George Michael on Careless
3: Whisper. But uh, yeah, you stumped me off the bat. It sounds ah, like it might be correct, but I'd have to I'd have to go check. I don't
1: even have any guys on for if you no, no, But uh, George Michael, yeah, he he certainly owned nineteen eighty eight from a, from a chart perspective. Uh, were you a fan of his at the time or yeah. more of a pop curiosity? Um,
3: I, I, I did, I, I think. And we can you know, talk about this more and we go through his, his career a little bit more. Sure. But I, I think I like some of the stuff he did afterwards uh, even better, uh, Listen Without Prejudice. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because it's only because I like those songs better or it's because by that point I was fully into music and I felt more like I, I owned uh, on an emotional level. And maybe that's you know part of how people like music once – once you're you're fully into uh, music, a little bit older, it it means more to you. But yeah, um, no. but yeah, no, I, I I like the album. I I've always been a fan of his.
1: Yeah, we we I talked about this a little bit with Joe. But you know, while while this was obviously his kind of his, his commercial behemoth and uh, you know, an album that he had trouble matching and even didn't really even try to match over the course of the rest of his career, I don't think it's it's not necessarily his best album. You know, it, it's it's his his album with the most hits on it, the most songs that people know, but. Listen without prejudice I think it's probably more of a complete you know artistic statement uh older I think it's really interesting. So I I, I think it, it's it's a little unfortunate that that faith cast such a large shadow over the rest of his discography because he had a, he had a couple other really good albums. Uh but uh before we get into that uh Trevor do you have a you have any particular George Michael connections or uh, is he I was, playing with your phone there instead. Don't you want to talk about George Michael. I was trying to 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 to, to
3: googling oh, 1987 <laughs> to, to see what life was like back
1: then. No,
4: I was actually trying to trying to, to uh, grab grab really quickly whether it was actually whether it was one of the first people to actually have two year and number ones and I couldn't quite I, I got right around the corner from my list but uh, I, you, you I, I almost got quite, away with it Trevor I know I was uh, I was, oh so close um, in any case uh, well, obviously I was not alive when the album came out sure so um, thanks mom and dad for that <laughs> one um, which is kind of funny because now I was trying to rack my brain about when was the first time I, I came to experience the album mm-hmm. uh, it probably was Maybe around college, because I guess in kind of what, what you guys have mentioned about um, him not being the same commercial force probably when I went in the 90s when I was a lot coming across music. But sure. it's kind of weird because he is one of these artists who who isn't always just tied to this album. Like his artistry is bigger than the album, but it's a little odd that for me, like he's an artist that is bigger than an album, but only has one sort of big album. Yeah. I mean if you think of anybody else you know you think of Michael or you think of Well I think uh, you have
3: to combine the the Wham stuff before that.
4: I kind of but I mean even Wham only had I mean you probably only a, what four four five Wham hits that most people could probably even name if even if even five. Right. Um and I mean the fact that's even a little bit older is, is a little a little different as mm-hmm. well. Um so I I probably came across this just like on a playlist or something. Um honestly I mean maybe maybe I was like well what is a song called I want your sex. What is that <laughs> what is that song sound like? Um, but I remember, like, I think one of my favorite things about George Michael. We can kind of get into this a little bit later. Is, um, <laughs> you know, there's always a soft spot I think in 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 Black America for white guys who appreciate, you know, great soul R and B music. I mean, the British people, you sure. know, have have always been oddly very connected with with some of the the sounds of of. American South R&B blues, all those kind of influences, and so I think there's something about that where I was like, "Yo, this is this isn't just like
1: hype. This guy can really sing." <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, uh, he, he had tremendous success on, on the R&B charts with with this album. I'm, I'm sure it's something you guys probably want to touch on, but uh, I think I think you know, it went to number one right on the
3: on the R&B charts. Well, I know there, there were six six songs charted. Yeah. Uh, from it, if you look back, uh, uh, f- three of them were top tens. One more try was so a number one R&B. It
1: was pretty tremendous, and I know he he said that that actually meant more to him than being number one on the pop charts, is because you know he was such a big soul fan. You know, he had the song with Aretha Franklin, and, and you know earlier than this album, and uh, you know the, whenever whenever he toured, I think he you know, he carried like a, a very very heavy coterie of, of gospel singers in the background, and he he was, he was definitely a very very big proponent of, of soul music. And, and Father Figures, get kind of a gospel song, sure. I and mean, so it was one yeah. more yeah you know, one more try, as we already mentioned. Right.
4: Uh, and George also, of course, holding it down for for the white folks on the R&B chart, and he's the last person to have number one hit on the R&B charts who's white until Robin Thicke. Yeah, that's
1: right. I remember when that happened. That was that was very exciting. I mean, that's like a fifteen Thicke. year gap at least. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, was, was it easier in the '80s for for, for non-black artists to get onto the R&B radio? I know, I know Hall and Oates had a, had a couple hits. Uh,
3: Madonna, Hall and Oates, yeah. uh, Phil Collins, I, th- I think, had some some R&B hits. Uh, you know, I think I I'm not sure. I'm not an expert mm-hmm. on, on uh, R&B radio in the '80s, but you know, a lot of that music was was catchy and and kind of mixed pop and R&B, so they were open to it yeah, at, well, at the time. So.
4: And let's also not forget that. I think I think in the post Max Martin era, when you think of certain songwriters and certain collaborators. In one part, I mean, there are a lot of black musicians honing a lot of these white records. I mean, Nile Rodgers producing so much of like a Virgin, sure. and I mean, people wouldn't think that. So I mean, there's 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 ways to put those those sounds those touches in that I think was a little more simplistic, or not simplistic, but a little a little easier to slide in versus what we think of nowadays as sort of you know black black people mostly work with black people and in house, and and a lot of you know white pop artists work with sort of these this this wheelhouse of mostly. White talent, The Swedes. Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah. basically, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think of you know like Usher, Jermaine Dupree, you think of sort of the guys who go on one circle, and you don't really think of Usher and Max Martin yeah. and Shellback and and Doctor Luke and that crew. So.
1: You did have uh, Justin Timberlake, uh, who certainly is one. Yeah, would be one considered one of the acolytes of, of this kind of period in George Michael's career, and he was working with uh, you know Pharrell and Timbaland and. Uh, uh, f- I guess Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin doesn't count. But, uh, but it's certainly big-name R&B producers. But I don't think he really crossed over to R&B radio the same way. But it's just interesting. It's, it, it shows another way that this album was kind of so immersive in the culture in the late 80s and that it was crossing over to really unexpected places. Uh, and, and it was an absolute monster on the Hot 100, as uh, as you guys are, are no doubt aware. Uh so th- this this album, you know, we, we had a, a series of essays that went up today celebrating the fact that it had six top five hits. I was trying to rack my brain: how many other albums have done that? How many other albums have six top five hits? Um, well, obviously Janet has
4: seven top five hits. But is, is she the only, is she the only other one?
1: I think six top fives. Um,
4: I think uh, ooh, that's that's tough because like, I mean, control, and, and other Janet albums out of control had five top fives. Right. I think Janet had five as well. Um, this one would have six. I think that might,
1: think that might be the only one, that, which, is, which is pretty tremendous. Yeah.
3: Well, what's interesting about Rhythm Nation is you, you talk about how uh, Bad had five number sure. ones and, and nothing uh, did that again until Katy Perry's Teenage Dream in 2010, 2011. Um, talking about Rhythm Nation, it had, it had four number ones. It had two number twos. So she almost – if it if, 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 uh, uh, was uh, Rhythm Nation and Come Back to Me – had both hit number one, she'd have the record with six. Sure, and also uh, all right got to number four. So uh, it's just it, kind of forgotten. You always just think of bad. You always think of, of Teenage Dream, but uh, Rhythm Nation almost almost tied and broke the record.
1: But but so did Faith for that matter. And also had the four right. number one singles and a number two, and, and the number two uh, very easily could have gotten number one. Uh, and, and I want your sex, which 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 kind of had a couple strikes against it, right? right?
3: So maybe if uh, right, I think one of the stories said and I know the story Casey Kasem would never say the title sure. for American Top Forty. So there there might have been some sort of ingrained uh, little little reticence uh, at radio. About yeah, that.
1: I think I think it got banned from at least a couple stations. Although, although you know he was such a such a force at the time, and they couldn't deny him completely. But the fact that you know the. the I would say it's probably still one of the most recognizable songs on the album, and didn't get to number one. Uh, but the next four singles did. Like that—that—that that, that basically I means I mean, it came as close, except for maybe *Rhythm Nation*, as any other album has to, to, to matching that bad record. Yeah, it,
3: it's, it's also a little bit of an asterisk that we never have to deal with because it was released well ahead of the album, and and some people sort of consider it's Faith true. the first single. So we've yeah so uh, I, I never was, had to worry about that on a chart. I
1: was uh, trying to remember um, with Joe in the first half of this podcast, uh, but I want your sex was that, on, was that on the *Beverly Hills Cop 2 soundtrack? Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Why?
1: Has anybody seen that movie? Like, where where, where does that song slot into The Beverly Hills Cop 2? Uh, That, I don't know. I've never seen it. I... Maybe it's synced up. I don't Maybe know. Maybe they just needed
4: placement. I don't know.
1: Next time I see that movie on one of my eight HBOs, I'll have to watch through for uh, for that George Michael song placement because so that, that that's pretty incongruous to me. But it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so with that aside, I mean, uh, what was it about this album that you think made it such a commercial force, and specifically on the Hot 100, either from a from a musical perspective or from an industry perspective? Do you, do you have any kind of do you guys have any kind of pet theories as to why this was one of the one of the all timers?
3: Yeah, just I mean, as we're uh, talking about that, it. it Uh, I Want Your Sex doesn't fully fit in some ways on Faith. It feels feels like it was released before then because then you get to Faith, you get to Father Figure, you get to One More Try. It feels like progressively with those singles we just kept seeing a more adult side, yeah. Uh, very very adult,
1: very kind of classic soul. I
3: mean, I mean not even just uh, it, not even just that they were older. We've seen many artists do that over the years, even uh, in recent years. Uh, Zane uh, doing that, or Miley Cyrus <laughs> becoming sure. be, becoming uh, more more mature in, in music. But I think there's just such a depth to, especially father figure, and especially one more try. Those songs just they're. It's, on one level, it's kind of crazy to think that they became pop hits because they, they're just very uh, intricate songs mm-hmm. with great hooks. But One More Try especially, it's almost six minutes. There's no uh, f- official chorus. He says the title at the end. It's, right, yeah. It's, it's kind of uh, – I think you look back and and if you didn't realize how big he was at the time, uh, you might not realize how these songs became number ones. But I think it's just a combination that he, he grew up and he great songs. I know it's, yeah. it sounds simple, but really, really good songs.
1: Yeah, and unlike Bad, where it was sort of the album after the album. I mean, we, we we you know, you guys were on my podcast to talk about Bad a couple months ago, and we we went through the number ones, and we you know, we agreed that you know uh, a couple of them were, were kind of stone classics, Man in the Mirror, the way you make me feel, uh, a couple others, uh, maybe not so much so. You know, uh, I just can't stop loving you, and uh, you know, we think we had a we had a split vote on Bad, the song Bad, but. uh yeah, like like th- that album definitely felt like it was riding the wave of Thriller still even though it came out a half decade later. But this this was it for George Michael. I mean, obviously he had The whams, uh you know make it big was a huge album, uh Music from on the Edge of Heaven was a little bit less so, but certainly he was still a major pop star on both sides of the Atlantic. Uh but this was this was the culmination. This this wasn't him just kind of uh you know earning off past accomplishments. This this was the album for him. Uh and I'd say you know, of the five number ones, the only one that you kind of look at askance this these days is probably "Monkey," right? Well, four number ones. I'm sorry, i I'm sorry. Of the four number ones, no disrespect to my Billboard and scoop and Perry. right here. Apologies
3: for that. That's why. That's why the chart. Beat of of teams the can't.
1: five uh, top two hits on the album, we'll say that much. Uh, the only one that you kind of look at side eyed is probably "Monkey."
3: Well, I think it's the one that hasn't lasted as well, and it's probably the one that sounds the most of its time. Sure, Cheesiest
1: so by far. Yeah. It's still a fun song. Yeah, no, definitely, and the the only one with actual monkey uh, screaming effects on it, which is uh, you know, puts it in a class of its own, certainly. And it has the <laughs> know, the great uh, great Jam Lewis remix, we talked about it a little with Joe, uh, but yeah, it's, it's an insane song, certainly, definitely one you you you're, you're, you're if you're scrolling through your big book of Billboard number ones, you get to that one, you're like, oh, I didn't didn't know he had a song called Monkey or, like, or maybe I, just, I don't know with Monkey. Then I feel like I mean that's that's to me where like I want your sex like
4: fits in like the yeah. album like mm-hmm. i mean i think those, those are kind of two sides of the same coin to me in that little
3: you
4: know, and, and you know he i mean weird, the uptempo kind of sexy way
3: right and the uptempo stuff he'd done before then uh was was much more bubblegum so yeah. he'd done freedom and he'd done uh, wake me up before you go go so now the uptempo stuff we were getting was i want your sex was monkey a li- little little more r&b a little again a little more adult sounding even on the uptempo songs
4: but now now he's a man you know He wants your <laughs> sex you know come play monkey like let's like come on
3: I don't know if you can
1: really read – I don't know what you read into Monkey in terms of you know, thematically. If you have like a coherent interpretation of that song, God bless. I, I got nothing for you. But, uh, but yeah, I think if if you were to talk about one of the songs that I'm being a momentum hit, I think that would be the one where it's just like uh, the wave was so high. It was just cresting for him at that point. He was still on his, his Faith World Tour and he's still on MTV every you know, half hour or whatever. And uh, by the time Monkey comes out, you could have put out probably any song on this album and it would have been a, a major hit. I'd say almost as impressive as that is kissing a fool getting yeah. number five. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: yeah we- I mean, the songs were really all—they're uh, all different. Yeah, I mean, you, with Very every awesome. single you—you you, you got a different side of an artist who is just uh, growing. And for that song to be hit, even at the time, how many? Songs that sound like they're being sung in a lounge somewhere yeah. become hits. Even at the time, I thought this sounds pretty different for a pop hit.
1: And another song with no chorus, really to speak of, uh, just you know, some some kind of repeating musical motifs, but no big hook, no, nothing really. It's, it's it's all atmosphere and it's all him, just yeah. just that vocal performance, right. and it's pretty tremendous. And. Uh, are, are you surprised at all that they didn't go for that that seventh big hit? I mean, this was the era of, of seven singles, and yeah. they sort of tried with Hard Day earlier, but uh, they never really made a video for it. They they didn't give it the full push.
3: Yeah, it was actually it was a, a top twenty five R and B hit. Oh, really? In I in nineteen eighty seven. But I, I don't no. I I don't think I don't think there was a hit they missed on them. I, I think oh, Hand yeah. to Mouth is, is kind of catchy, but I'm not sure it would have been uh, another single at that point.
1: Yeah, maybe not. And uh, I don't know, the, the, the 80s were turning over to the 90s. And obviously George Michael was, was starting to, to rebel a little bit against this sort of moment in his life and being this this massively consumed pop star. And, uh, you know, he, he never really approached these commercial heights again. And that was almost by choice. Uh, did that surprise you at the time? I mean, if, if you, you you grew up with George Michael as, as one of the, the the preeminent pop stars, but he never, he never seemed to really want to recapture that brass ring after this.
3: Yeah, he almost kind of embodied uh, an overall pop culture thinking at the time. The eighties, uh, you know, stereotypically being about excess, sure. and the nineties uh, kind of went in more of a stripped down um, mode in, in a lot of different ways and just a sort of sort of mindset. So, um, yeah, it was it was a big deal at the time that he he wouldn't make videos that he he was uh, kind of biting the the hand that had fed him all this success. So it was it was kind of controversial uh, at the time. Um, so yeah, at that point, I, you know, I, I think you look back at something like Praying for Time, it was sort of, it became a number one hit, largely because he'd been away for so long. A, a deep song, but it, yeah, sure. maybe maybe not on the level of something like Father Figure, if, if that's what it sounded like. Uh, Freedom was a great song, but with no video, uh, that's when you really saw the tide start to turn. Freedom 90 with no video? Oh, with him not being in. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that song yeah. definitely had a yeah. video of when I've seen a couple times. Yeah. Him, uh, him not wanting to be the face sure. is, of his video. Sure. It was definitely a different period in his career. <laughs> well,
4: do you think? I mean, I guess when you look back now at that period in the '80s that was so high, do you think there were any signs there? Like cause I, you say, it always comes as to shocked to people that he sort of just pulled this 180 I mean do you think anything with, with that time would have made you think you know maybe he's not enjoying this as much as, as,
3: as you think he would he should this, is, this um, is where I get to say I was too young 84, 85 we were quite in the <laughs> critical thinking <inaudible> totally mode yet, yeah. yeah I don't know it, it could be a lot of stars have that first taste of success and mm-hmm. it's probably really great at first then you realize pretty quickly maybe maybe this isn't for me. And I think that's kind of what happened with him.
1: Well, I'd say if, if there was a sign for it, you could say it was him leaving Wham! In the first place, you know, Wham! Was still massively successful in the mid '80s. Uh, had, had the brand recognition that he didn't necessarily have solo. Although you know he, he was starting to get credits. You know, he got the Wham! Featuring George Michael. And then uh, I was talking about earlier, but you know, a different corner was one of his last Wham! Hits. It was credited to George Michael solo on a Wham! Album but obviously he he wanted to leave that period behind him mostly because it was kind of seen as like a frivolous pop thing and then once he does faith and he he reaches heights that he never even reached with wham uh and and you know a sort of popular exposure that he never even reached with wham uh i don't i think it's not you know it's it's not unpredictable that he would have kind of bucked from that too just because he, he he keeps hitting these new heights, and as he gets there, he realizes, "Wait a minute, uh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be."
4: But kind of interesting. I mean, interesting to me that that focuses like so much on the fame picture of it, because I mean, I assume that if Faith, if you think "Faith" is the album that George Michael wanted to make sure. when he was in Wham, wanted to put out, it seems just so odd to me that I guess he, I mean, he would have what he wanted, and he he wasn't forced into this box by this label to to, to do this or make this. And it's still, I mean, it still wasn't enough, I guess, in a way. That's so.
1: It, it is definitely, if nothing else. He would have the music. He would. I think I don't know. It's definitely really interesting, but I think that's kind of the paradox that defines his entire career. Like even after listening without prejudice, he like you know that was an acoustic album, It was sort of ponderous in a, like in kind of like a almost a ecology sort of way, which is I'm sure why why Gary was such a fan at the time. But like immediately after that, he you know he he, he well, not, not immediately, but soon after that, he goes to Older, which is like a, a dance flavored album and and very ballad heavy, but like more and more in a club, more
3: R and B sort of mode. Well boy Jesus to a child was the yeah, first single, and mm, that is', is that's, a, that's, just a, that's almost him daring uh the overall pop audience to, to say, you know I'm going to take this as far as I want away from this exactly and if you guys it's, like it that you know that's no, up to you yeah it's yeah.
1: It's, a, it's a brutal listen and uh, you know and after this he did an album of standards and then he did a like a, a total dance pop album and it seems like every, every time he sort of reintroduced himself to the pop world, it was under a completely different guise than when he had left it. It was and, also
3: a long break between sure. hell his legal trouble, so that uh, you know a couple of years can be an eternity for a pop audience, no doubt
1: and and but but it seems like he, he kind of spent his career redefining what it meant to be George Michael. And so you know maybe maybe it wasn't even the fame and the excess and the success and all that stuff that that the faith era brought, but maybe it was just that was mm-hmm. then and on to the next one. and, and I, I think there's enough evidence in his career to suggest that that was almost as large a part of it as, as anything uh, in terms of recoiling from commercial success. You, you can develop your own theories about about George Michael and his pulling from the limelight, but uh, yeah. well, obviously now you know it's it's too late to to to, to ask him about any of this stuff. Uh, and you know, th- you know, talked about it a little bit with Joe, but it, it was it was a pretty devastating thing in, in December when uh, when we all heard you know, over Christmas break that, that he had died. Uh, it really for, forced me to kind of take a second look at his career and, and my own opinions about George Michael. Uh, did, did, did you guys were, were you impacted in any meaningful way by his death? And do you look at him any
3: differently since then? Um, well, I, I think I think it's uh, it's been nice to see how he's maybe gotten more of his due than I might have expected. Sure. Uh, here we are talking about him as one of the biggest names of of, of the 80s and maybe since I you know, I, I think for for the last uh, somewhere around the mid 90s on. Uh, he was, you know, kind of uh, not treated with much respect overall. He had some, some, some personal issues that, uh, you know, he made the outside video kind of, kind of joking about that. So, you know, I think he kind of fell into this uh, this uh, view uh, overall by the pop audience that he just had some hits in the 80s and, and was, was, you know, maybe in some ways a joke since then. So I think it's kind of nice, uh, if nothing else, people are really focusing on his catalog at this point and, and giving him the respect for being such a great songwriter more than anything.
1: And a producer, too. Right. Yeah. What about you, Trevor?
4: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's—I mean, you look even with with some of his contemporaries, Michael, Whitney. I mean, it's so funny how for the past for the last I don't know two, three, five, ten years of their lives, they become you know late night you know sure. uh, punchlines. They become parodies on SNL, you know, of all their of all their problems. And and George, of course, I mean, I don't think he was—he he never was in that public eye or had those public problems in the same way. I mean, I think Gary's completely right that. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, George Michael was never a big deal. I mean, if you knew him and you liked him or whatever, but it wasn't as if George Michael's going on tour, you got to see him, or he, he barely have you had heard a hit this
3: in your lifetime yeah. that, that you would have known.
4: Yeah. yeah, I mean, so you kind of like knew knew who he was in the back of your mind, but it was never he was never somebody that you really sought out paid attention to dissected um, if, if you ever heard about
1: him it was because he you know got caught smoking pot in public or you know he yeah that the, the british the infam- toilets or like the yeah.
4: infamous bathroom yeah. incident. yeah and, and
1: so like the, that that would that you grow up with that being your primary reference point for george michael and it's always fascinating how after an artist like that dies as you know, as you kind of mentioned earlier like that'll disappears um,
4: yeah yeah i mean completely like like it's it's and, and of course, that's not what you want
3: to focus on mm-hmm. in, in the grand scheme of his life, because it was so much more than that. If nothing else, at least he did seem to have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> by by <laughs> no making doubt, that yeah. video, he was yeah. on. What was was it? Was it extras with uh, Ricky Gervais? He had a scene where he was joking about that. So he, I think he um, yeah, nothing else kind of laughed it off in some yeah. ways.
4: And I think, and I think in the this documentary that that has come out recently, um, he did say that he wanted to be remembered. Um, one of the big things was was as a songwriter. Sure. And I think that's so. I think it's so fascinating that any, basically any singer songwriter. I think that you know, in their own way, has been interviewed, and they always say they want to be remembered as a songwriter. They they like that part of it so much more than the singing, even for the great singers out there. So I think um, the fact that people are, are paying attention to that is is really
1: nice. Yeah, one final question that I've I've kind of been wondering about myself recently, and it's sort of a curveball. So, and take a second if you need, but do you think George Michael will ever get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? The silence says it all.
3: No, I, I think he. I think he could. It, it, it's a little. It, it's kind of always hard to guess how the Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame uh, goes, but uh, it wouldn't shock me if he were, and I could totally see him uh, being deserving.
1: It's, it's interesting to me because you know you never really hear his name mentioned as one like a, like a snub. You never really hear like there's no like, grassroots you know support for George Michael, and obviously there's there's a million other artists that should be in an R, and so you you can't focus too much on George Michael, but. You know, it's, it's, he was, you know, the, the, the people that you would consider peers of his that uh, you know, are also kind of have at least one foot in the rock world. You know, George Michael wasn't a rock star, but, he, you know, he, the Faith video and uh, Listen Without Predators was a very, like, rockish album. And, you know, he he's it's not that much of a stretch to consider George Michael rock. And when you consider that, you know, someone like Madonna's in, uh, you know, Prince, obviously, uh, other 80s pop stars certainly uh, got the respect immediately. George Michael, for reasons we've already talked about, didn't necessarily have that respect in his lifetime. But I do wonder if now, that, now that he's dead, and you know, everyone always kind of is, is, is revered more and kind of viewed as more of a, you know, a hallowed, hallowed sort of manner once they pass. I do wonder if eventually the tide will come around to him and they'll say, like, yeah, he he wrote and produced all of his songs. Uh, for the most part. Uh, he was a great performer, a great singer. He had, definitely had the respect of his peers. And he, he had the respect of his, of his followers, too. Like, I, I, haven't, I haven't watched the George Michael documentary, but just, you know, I've seen sort of the previews for it and just some of, some of the, the faces in that preview. Like, I think, like, Liam Gallagher of Oasis is in there. Mark Ronson's in there. Like, people uh, who are probably given a little bit more of that, that respect than George Michael is from, from the rock perspective.
3: I can see it happening uh, maybe in the next 10, 15 years. Well, he did the album with Queen as well, so it yeah. uh, can, can be a little bit of a of a pull into the rock world.
1: Uh,
3: I, I mean, it's, <laughs> Trevor's going to be the voice of dissent. Here.
4: Well, it's just uh, it's just kind of based on some, somewhat empirical evidence. I mean, I feel like mm-hmm. you you know that besides sort of the obvious rock acts, people people all would agree. You know, you are rock and roll. I mean for most of maybe the 60s, early 70s, I mean, that's when most of those sort of R&B pop-leaning acts, whether it's Aretha, whether it's Jackson 5, that's, that. I mean, you got Marvin Gaye, Sam Cooke, like those influencer kind of eras. I mean, they certainly all get in. When you slide into like the late 70s, 80s, I mean, I feel like that's, that that sort of segment of pop R and B is is the one that that misses out. I mean, you've got Madonna in there, and I think I think a lot of people argue that she did more for um, the culture, as the kids want to say, and, and her influence is sort of undeniable. But I mean, you know, people bring up all the time. I mean, Donna Summer's not there, Janet's not there, Whitney. Whitney's mm-hmm. not there, right. um, and I feel like you know, even someone like Prince, who's in that same kind of time, Prince. It's not hard to see why Prince's is is. is rock i mean he's, he's, he's a, a guitar he's a hero, guitar yeah. player he's an instrumentalist and i think maybe that's one thing that might hurt a lot of mm-hmm. those icons is they don't play a lot of instruments great voices
1: good it, it always gets
3: back to is it the pop hall of fame is it the rock and roll yeah. hall yeah. of fame so it, it's really hard to tell I
1: think these are all totally fair points and it is, it is an interesting argument and i, I you know, Ooh, can I, I bring up one last
4: also please yeah one last point i mean kind of in that in that middle vein that always gets skipped i think also now going forward um, I mean, you've got now a lot of rap icons coming mm-hmm. through who think that you know that they deserve some some share. And we've seen obviously Tupac and NWA. And so you, you know before, I guess if it was kind of a two genre field, if it's sort of if it's rock versus pop, I mean now that rap is going to be in the picture, and I assume only the same number of people are going to get in every year, uh, it's going to be harder for them. I do think I wonder maybe in the future, particularly maybe his contributions from the LGBTQ standpoint sure. could could sort of merit a. Um, another look in the coming years as maybe some some more figures in that field get recognized and and inducted. But I mean, I feel like it's kind of a hard sell because I think I, and it kind of comes to the main point about of that era. I mean, you know, is George is George more rock than Donna? Is is he more than Janet? I mean, there's such a long list of those people. I think in that era, who people already think should get in, that it's a pretty crowded club.
3: I think it's unfortunate too that we didn't we didn't get more product from him in yeah. his heyday because he, I think that might have uh, that that might have uh, sold his case a little bit more. Just going so many years between albums, whether it was his own choice or not, uh, if we had more catalog, that might have uh, just made it easier. Yeah,
1: no, he's he's almost like a, a you know a basketball player that gets hurt in his early thirties or something and right. ends up having like a relatively short, uh, you know, kind of long tail to his career. Right. Uh, and it is unfortunate, but it, that, you know, that, that's that's a very well heated point, Trevor, about the, the, the field about, and in one way the field is getting less crowded because like all the sixties and seventies boomer rock acts, are, it seems like most of the ones that had the credible shot at getting in are in or will be in the next couple of years. But as we get into the, yeah, the next couple of decades, yeah. The, the preponderance of, of major rap stars and, uh, other just kind of uh, you know just 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 cult figures that uh, that that are kind of worlds unto themselves and maybe have a little bit more rock cred than, than George Michaels will certainly uh, make it a more crowded discussion. Uh, but it's it's really interesting and I'm, I think I think he's deserving. I hope he gets in at some point. And you know this year it'll be in a sort of an interesting litmus test as to what direction we're heading in. You know you see people like uh, like Kate Bush and Depeche Mode who also don't really fall into this sort of traditional '80s rock mold. Uh, but uh, you know they're, they're sort of left field figures and they're more from the pop world or as much, as, as much from the pop world as from the rock world.
3: When you're pure pop, I think sometimes you don't get that extra little push yeah. like you do if you're alt. You kind of have that rock cred. If you're R&B, there, there's sort of an element there. But pure pop sometimes doesn't get its due. Yeah. I suppose that could hurt them.
4: Well, I think some people think that you know, it gets its due other places. It gets, <laughs> it gets its due on the charts, right. on the Grammys yeah. in right. popular yeah. culture. You know, these, This is the one place maybe where people who, who
1: don't always get everything can get something. But I, I, would, I personally would say there's room in the Rock Hall for both Radiohead and George Michael and I'd like to see them both in there soon enough uh, well thank you guys so much it's been a really great discussion uh, Gary Trust, Trevor Anderson Charts Without Prejudice love having you guys on <laughs> <laughs> I like it that's, that's, that's our spin-off podcast yeah. <laughs> coming next year